Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and it's time to get you ready for week 12 in college football. And we've got three people on today's show to help me do exactly that. We're going to start things off with Scouting Report, where Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl stops by to break down a sleeper on the offensive side of the football at the quarterback position out on the West Coast. We're going to hit on that with Eric at the top of the show. Then for Saturday Scouting, we're going to start our look ahead to next week here with Ben Fennell. But We've also got a boatload of senior bowl acceptances to go through. We will do all of that in Saturday scouting. We have a mock draft. We have matchups, as always, with Ben there in that segment. Then we round things out with Ross Tucker in pick six. We're going to preview six games that you need to watch and why here in our weekly competition as we get things rolling. Very, very tight race once again between myself and Ross Tucker. As always, make sure you go on to our Apple podcast page. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. You can get this show sent to your phone each and every week, twice weekly from now all the way up to the 2022 NFL draft. That said, let's get things started here. Excited to catch up with Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl. Talk through a sleeper at the quarterback position. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, well, joining us once again here for our scouting report segment is the Shrine Bulls Director of Football Operations and Player Personnel, my friend Eric Galco. You can follow on Twitter at Eric Galco. Eric, welcome back to the show, my friend. Appreciate it. So let's get into uh, one of the guys that it's interesting. He's come up a couple of times here this fall, and that's Jake Hayner, Fresno State quarterback. Uh, I know you were in on his performance back in like week zero against UConn. Uh, I'm interested to see if that's when he first popped on your radar, and if not, uh, when did you first kind of become aware of Jake Hayner and him being on the NFL radar? No, I mean, he's a guy that we've uh, we had a draft book raid coming into the season um, in the second half of 2020. Again, he's a former Washington transfer. So, again, those kind of top prospects and top transfers we're always kind of keeping an eye on. But he played extremely well the second half, uh, I guess, the entire season, the 2020 a bridge season for Fresno State. But that October through December a year ago um, was really impressive. And I think, you know, I've got a sweet spot. And I think based on my past with the XFL, we, I like a lot of quarterbacks that can be crafty and be efficient in the pocket, but also make plays outside of it. Because um, I think those guys have staying power in the NFL. So I think people may have been underappreciating him and, and not on watch lists, not on big boards, whatever else. But I think Jake Hayner has always been a guy that we've, we've liked a lot as an NFL player. I think his emergence this year going from a reliable pocket mobile quarterback to being what he is this year, which is this guy can maybe start games in the NFL with the way he's able to play. I think it's been exciting to watch. Interesting. Yeah. A guy that certainly has uh, helped himself with what he's done this year. So now interested to get us, give us a little insight into what he brings to the field. Give us a, a scouting report here on Jake Hayner. Yeah, I think for, I mean, Jake Hayner, first off, is a slightly undersized, but has enough arm talent and can finish downfield at a very high level. I think his ability to generate velocity from different foot platforms in the pocket and outside the pocket is really impressive and shows up a lot. I think the best part about Jake Hayner's ability is the anticipation, the timing, and the finishing ability accuracy-wise when he's off balance, when he's working outside the pocket on those roll out bootleg deep outs or deep posts um, finishing those throws consistently is what you have to do when you're a quarterback who doesn't have the six, five high, high velocity arm talent. And Jake consistently make those throws. He can get a little better in terms of, you know, finishing outside the hash marks, playing with a little better timing with receivers. He's not familiar with. And I think with a gap pressure, he can get a little better there as well. But as a quarterback with accuracy and timing, again, you watch that week zero game against UConn, you watch him against Oregon, the throws able to make with timing and small windows is going to translate really well to the NFL level. He reminds me a lot of Taylor Heineke as a quarterback prospect to, again, a guy that Heineke, that probably was a bit overlooked coming out of college, played in the XFL for a minute as well, but a guy that can make plays in the pocket and outside the pocket, great accuracy, great timing. Those guys tend to stick in the NFL. Yeah, he definitely has that skill set where you're, you know, you can see there's plenty of guys that have, have gotten a lot of time uh, in the NFL in recent years that have come in and, and been able to make those impacts. And, you know, looking back at, at, to that area of the country, uh, even like a Gardner Minshew uh, in terms of like some of the things uh, that Gardner was able to do early on in his career uh, with Jacksonville. So uh, certainly a yeah. player to continue watching here. Eric, thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast and give us more insight here into one of the sleepers in this quarterback class. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate it. It's time for Saturday Scouting.
All right. Well, a lot to get into here on Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennell to uh, first start things off with the way that we're going to start a lot of episodes coming up uh, over the next few weeks. We've got a lot of news surrounding the NFL draft. There's all-star game announcements, and we're going to break down as many of these acceptances, both from the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl, as they continue to come out. Uh, so, Ben, uh, let's go kind of speed round here. 20-plus acceptances over these last couple of days from the Senior Bowl. So rather than try and squeeze them all into this one, I'm thinking we'll do offensive players in, in this this episode, we'll hit some of the recent defensive players uh, early next week with Dane. Yeah, that sounds good. A lot of names to go through. These are coming out rapid fire each day. But it's a really fun time of the year, and it seems like it's just going to keep rolling and rolling along right into uh, January. Yeah, no question. So, uh, like I said, we'll keep hitting on all these guys as we come through, both for the Shrine Bowl and for the Senior Bowl. Uh, let's look at some of these names for the Senior Bowl. We'll start with the the lone quarterback that we've seen so far, Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky. Only a one-year starter up there for the Hilltoppers. He transferred in from Houston Baptist because their offensive coordinator left to go to Western Kentucky about a year ago. Uh, so, followed his offensive coordinator there and has been extremely productive, uh, a guy that has got, caught a lot of buzz. He seems to be one of the favorite sleeper, day, early day three type of quarterbacks and he'll get his chance uh, to prove himself down there in Mobile. Ben, let's go to the running back spot. Rashad White from Arizona State. Yeah, uh, he's in his second year at Arizona State. Juco transfer flashed on the scene last year, averaging 10 yards a carry, has 19 touchdowns in his young career at Arizona State. Really prolific home run hitter, all sorts of juice in the open field, mm. catches the ball well in the screen game. He's a guy that can take anything literally 80, 90 yards in a flash. He's 6'2", 210, a little upright, but with explosive speed. Yeah, and a couple of other running backs to announce in there as well, both from the state of Florida. Uh, Damian Pierce from Florida with the Gators. Uh, he was on the freak list as a guy that led the team in rushing each of the last two seasons. So uh, a guy to keep an eye on from the Gators. And then going down to FIU, Devontae Price. We, you and I talked about him earlier this week here on the show. This is a big back, built like kind of a, a Latavius Murray style of player, uh, high upright track runner. He's got a little bit of giddy up to him. He's been a good special teamer throughout his career. So a guy that will certainly try to help himself down there in Mobile. Let's go to the wide receiver position, Ben. And this is a, a spot where you have talked about this a lot, ton of really interesting group of five prospects at this position. And now when you look through this list of the accepted wide receiver invites, full of those kinds of players. We'll start with Jalen Tolbert, a guy that uh, is a really springy athlete. He's got the ability to get vertical. He's wanted all three levels of the field. He's been really productive down there for the Jaguars, staying home, by the way. His his uh, his team plays down there in Mobile. So uh, keep an eye out for Jalen Tolbert, a potential day two pick, early day two pick here in this NFL draft. Another guy I know you've talked about a lot, Calvin Austin from Memphis. Yeah, Jalen Tolbert, 41 receptions of 20-plus yards over the last two years. That leads college football, really explosive receiver with big playability. Calvin Austin, explosive down-the-field threat in a small package, about 5'9", 162. But his 149 career receptions, averaging 16 a catch, really yeah. speaks to his big play potential. He's got 22 touchdowns. I think his average depth of target over the past couple of years has been 16, 17, 18 yards down the field. So he's a guy looking to get down the field quite often has put up some huge games this year at 239 week two against Arkansas state, another 200 yard game against Tulsa. He's a big play receiver in a small package. Yeah. And uh, Calvin Austin, also a legit track athlete for Memphis uh, has won uh, numerous titles there in the AAC. Let's go to Romeo Dubs at the university of Nevada. He's been the number one receiver for the last couple of years for Carson strong out there with the wolf pack. And Dubs is just a well-rounded player. He's got that ability to work downfield. Uh, I think last week, was it been on the show? I compared him to Demarcus Robinson. Uh, and I think he's that kind of a player that, yeah, he can do a little bit of everything. He can work in the middle of the field. You can throw him some screens and he could be effective. Um, he's I don't know if he's got like that, a trait, uh, but this is a guy that has made plays down the field uh, and, and can be a yards after catch weapon as well. Uh, and I would say the same thing about Reggie Roberson, Ben from SMU, another guy uh, that has caught a lot of waves uh, or caught a lot of buzz over these last few years. Yeah, he's got really good size, being a 6'1, 200 pound frame, but he can get down the field and he has a really prolific career there, uh, really productive, especially once James Crochet left after 2019. Mm -hmm. He really uh, filled in the yards there in 2020 with Shane Bruchel coming over from Texas. Remember, he was a West Virginia transfer early in his career and found his way to SMU. Yep. Big play guy that really could have come out last year. Someone that's reminded me a little bit of like Torrey Smith, the way he come out of Maryland and ran real fast. So he's a guy with good size being 200 pounds and can win down the field. 
Yeah, he's a, a guy that really caught my eye a couple of years ago uh, and has continued to thrive whenever on the field for SMU. Uh, let's go to his teammate, Danny Gray, who has also been very productive, uh, especially this season as a senior. Didn't quite get the headlines and the buzz that Roberson did coming in, uh, but has been very, very productive. So Danny Gray, a guy that I'm excited to do a little bit more work on, but the numbers are there uh, in that SMU offense. Let's go now to Trey Turner at Virginia Tech, a guy you and I both took a peek at uh, yesterday after the announcement. This is a taller, long limb receiver, but in a gadget package and usage. And normally those gadget players are slots, shorter. They kind of look like running backs, you know, out there in the slot. Trey Turner's got some length. He's got long arms. He's a taller, upright prospect at a little over 6'2", 190. But he's got over 50 career rushing attempts, averaging nearly nine a carry, and 121 career receptions, averaging over 16. He is a big play waiting to happen, whether it's down the field, yards after catch, or just to put the ball in his hand in the backfield, whether it's wildcat or jet sweeps. He's a really interesting player. Been productive each year with 500 yards receiving and I think four straight seasons at Virginia Tech. He's a good-looking player. We were watching him the other day making some acrobatic catches, a couple toe taps along the back of the end zone. He's a fun player. Some traits that maybe not quite as dynamic, but some traits similar to Jamison Williams, uh, a guy that obviously a lot of people are very high on in this class from Alabama. Uh, and remember, this is the first receiver. All these receivers we've talked about, that's the first one from the Power Five that we brought up. All these other guys from Group of Five programs. And one more Power Five to get to at the wide receiver spot, Bo Melton from Rutgers. For our uh, local Philadelphia Eagles fans listening, uh, just from across the bridge in Mays Landing down by the Jersey Shore, Bo Melton uh, has been a four-year starter for Rutgers. And when you look at his skill set, very similar to like a Greg Ward. He, he wins in that quick and intermediate area. Uh, he's got some snap in and out of breaks. He's got, he's been overly reliable. Uh, I would say at the catch point for the most part here this season, he had some struggles uh, with drops earlier in his career, but uh, this is a guy that they try and get the ball to in a lot of different ways, but definitely more in that possession mold in the quick and intermediate area. Let's go to the tight end position, three tight ends. We've talked a lot about this tight end class uh, from the senior standpoint. Uh, let's go to Cole Turner and Nevada, Ben. Man, this guy's been on the receiving end of a lot of Carson Strong passes down the field. 6'6", 240, former receiver, showed up at Nevada, just over 200 pounds, has put on some really good weight. He's kind of that slot tight end. He can stretch the seam, can win vertically, makes a lot of great uh, catches and adjustments over the middle of the field and down the seam, whether it's back shoulders or acrobatic catches or taking a big hit uh, you know, on third down to move the sticks. Really good out in the red zone. He's a fun receiver, and he's been very productive the last two seasons. Over 100 catches, 1,000 yards, 18 touchdowns for a tight end. That's serious, serious production. And Carson Strong, whether it was Romeo Dubs or Cole Turner, yep. somebody somebody was producing some pretty highlight grabs on the other side of a Carson Strong. Cole Turner is a really good tight end. Let's go to Grant Calcaterra. This is a guy that, Ben, I remember you talking about him when he was like a true freshman for Oklahoma. He was really productive in Lincoln Riley's offense. Pretty sure he was catching passes from Baker Mayfield, uh, from Kyler Murray, and from Jalen Hurts. Uh, he ended up eventually stepping away from the game. I believe it was concussions. Uh, something medical caused him to step away from the game. He reemerged uh, with SMU and has been really productive this year as a senior. So Calcaterra now making himself available for this NFL draft here in 2022, and he'll get to prove his wares uh, down there in Mobile as well. One more tight end we're going to hit on here, Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin, Ben, a guy that I know has been kind of the, the number one target for that offense over the last couple of years. Yeah, obviously the Wisconsin offense loves their pro-style run game and a feature of the tight ends in the past game. But Jake Ferguson maybe isn't an A in any category, but he's a really well-rounded tight end. He's going to give you B to B-plus play in run blocking, pass pro, catching the ball, running routes. He has really good size, length. He's an adequate blocker. He makes some really impressive catches over the middle of the field and kind of down low and back behind him. Great hands. I think Jim Nagy said he might have the best hands in the entire tight end class. I completely agree with you. 30 catches every year. He's been consistent. Grandson of Barry Alvarez as well. Bat basketball background. You just kind of checking all the boxes you want from a tight end there. Uh, a really interesting player. He's just well-rounded. I don't think he has anything super flashy to hang his hat on, but these are the types of guys that fill out tight end rooms. And next thing you know, they're the third, second tight end and getting a lot of playing time in the NFL. 
We'll wrap things up here with the offensive line. And I'll go first with a uh, small school player, Nick Zakel from Fordham. Uh, this is a guy that I watched actually a, a few weeks ago. It was relatively, relatively early in the fall, 6'5", 325 pounds. This is a kid that looks the part, two-time first-team All-Patriot League coming into this season. Uh, and I think when you look at Zakel, uh, this is a guy who runs his feet on contact, very consistent finisher. He's strong. He's got really strong hands. Once he locks on to defenders, uh, they really struggled getting loose from him. I watched him not just against. Uh, some of the smaller schools. I watched him against Monmouth earlier this year, but I watched him against FAU, which is a, an obviously a, an FBS program, and then Nebraska looking at Power 5, and I didn't think he looked terribly out of place. He still needs, uh, there are still areas that he needs to get a little bit better in. His footwork needs to get better, but uh, this is a guy who's got some size, he's got some girth to him, he's strong, he's got some pop on contact in the run game. I'm excited to see uh, what Nick Sakel looks like down there in Mobile. Let's now get to the next one here. Max Mitchell from Louisiana, a program that has consistently churned out off offensive line these last couple of years. Yeah, they've been pumping out a lot of players, even in the backfield. Yeah. You know, uh, yep. Elijah Mitchell's playing some good ball for the 49ers. Robert Hunt down there in Miami was a second-round pick. Kevin Dotson was a fourth-round pick in 2020. And it seems like they just hit reset because their right guard is a really interesting prospect, you know, Cyrus Torrance. But right tackle, Max Mitchell was the one that got the invite so far. Does have experience at left tackle as well. A lot of time at right tackle the past three seasons. A little undersized, about 6'6", just a shade over 300 pounds. But he plays really good ball, a lot of pro-style kind of running concepts with those double teams of that big right guard out there. So he's a guy that I think is more than appropriate to go see how he can hang with some Power 5 pass rushers. Any idea on if he's a better screen game weapon than Robert Hunt? <laughs> I think he's <laughs> got a, 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 little bit more, a little bit more athleticism than, than Hunt and Dotson in the past. Those are a little bit more of the mauling uh, guard types. All right. Well, uh, we'll, get, we'll see if he can prove that uh, down there in Mobile. Braxton Jones from Southern Utah, another small school player uh, that I've done. I actually wrote down a comparison, a, a current Eagles player in LaRaven Clark when LaRaven Clark was coming out of Texas Tech uh, a few years back. Six foot seven, 310 pounds. He's long. He looks the part. He just needs a lot of technical work. And, and look, Clark was that similar kind of player when he was coming out. He goes to the senior bowl, had a solid week, and ended up being a third-round pick. Uh, we'll see if, if that happens with Braxton Jones. But a, a developmental tackle, a uh, really good finisher. That really stood out to me on film. This is a guy that really likes to get after it. Another really intriguing player as well in trenches, Ben, Dylan Parham from uh, Memphis. Uh, take us through Dylan Parham here. Yeah, he's a really interesting player and was one of the core offensive linemen uh, blocking for Jared Patterson in his prolific career. He's a little undersized. He's about 285, 6'3", but he is really experienced, Fran. He's played over 3,400 snaps for the Memphis Tiger. 3,400 mm. at a variety of positions. He's been mostly right guard this year and last year, but he's a guy that's got experience up and down the line. He was, oh, excuse me, he was the right tackle last year, was the left guard in 2018, 2019, and has been holding down the right guard spot this year. Former tight end in high school with a track and field background. It's a little undersized, but he's got the athleticism, the quick-footedness, the experience, the versatility. He's a really interesting player and kind of a small package. Experience up and down the line. His best spot, friend, might end up being at center. Mm. And that's what these weeks down in Mobile are all about. Kicking some tires around, trying guys at different spots, seeing where they can fit, seeing where they can help out an NFL team. Dylan Parno has a lot of tools uh, to fill out an offensive line room. And to your point, Dane uh, had actually retweeted the announcement and said, yeah, I'd be interested to see if he can play some center. And Jim Nagy tweeted at Dane and said, I can confirm that at least, uh, that he will get some center reps uh, down there in Mobile. So that's Beautiful. big uh, yep. for his projection. Uh, let's stay on the interior here with Lasitas Smith from Virginia Tech. This is a guy that I studied last year along their left tackle, uh, who was the first-round pick of the Minnesota Vikings, whose name was uh, currently escaping me. Um, but I watched him alongside. Yes, thank you, with Christian Darashaw. And watching Lasitas Smith. Uh, this is a guy who's really interesting. He started at left guard the last couple of years, converted high school tight end. He was at 255 when he first got to campus, but he was struggling to, to stay at that weight. So the, the coaches were like, look, just go play offensive line. All right. All right. And you, when you watch him, the athleticism carries over. He's really fast out of his stance. He's not a power player on contact, but he plays with a mean streak. He's going to take guys for rides, constantly trying to torque defenders to the ground. The, the one thing I do worry about, he's only played left guard after moving over from tight ends. So the, the proven position versatility will be a question. That's something that 
Parham has in his in his bag that Lasita Smith does not from a similar body type standpoint. But uh, Lasita Smith was a lot of fun to study, and I'm excited to continue to do more work on him, uh, watching alongside Darashaw. He was a guy that could have come out last year and ended up going back for the extra year. So uh, we'll see what Lasita Smith looks like down in Mobile. Let's go to a guy that I know you just had eyes on recently, Chris Paul from Tulsa. This kid's got some really interesting tools here, Fran. He's got a great-looking lower half, that kind of bubble in his butt. He's 6'4", 325, good size, experience at left tackle, right tackle, left guard, right guard, up and down the line, almost 3,000 snaps played in his career at Tulsa. Chris Paul, not the point guard out of Wake Forest and the 20-year vet in the NBA, but the left tackle, Chris Paul, for the Tulsa uh, Hurricanes down there. I think the Tulsa Hurricanes. I'm going to blank it on that. Greenway. Oh, no, Greenway is Tulane, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think the Golden Hurricanes, Golden Hurricanes. Sorry about that, guys, but uh, experienced guy and a guy that looks really good and seems like he's getting better each year. He's got some really interesting tools. Another guy just like Max Mitchell, or I just want to see him against some more elite competition to see if this guy's for real or not. And Cole Strange from Chattanooga, the last guy we'll hit on here for the Senior Bowl, uh, was a guy that was highlighted in that article last week with Bruce Feldman. They talked about him in those meetings and is kind of known for his toughness and uh, his willingness to get guys on the ground, right? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of a nasty player. That whole offensive line is nasty, kind of old school. This guy has no gloves, no pads, no elbow uh, pads or anything like that. They all have the single one bar, bar face yeah, right. mask up and down the offensive line. Just a really fun, nasty group. Their right guard's a massive player, too, and Curtis mm-hmm. McClendon at 6'7", 340. But Cole Strange, he's a finisher. He's a mauler. Could maybe kind of take on the Quinn Miners role of mm-hmm. last year of kind of getting after people, looking to – uh, bite some ankles and kneecaps out there. And, uh, you know, there's some uh, coaches in the NFL that like that stuff. So uh, we'll see if Cole Strange can maybe ruffle some feathers there at practice. So we've heard uh, about the coaches liking that. <laughs> I, I think that uh, uh, a lot of players that we're going to hit on, and I know that they're continuing to roll these announcements out. There's, there's more coming out as we're recording this podcast. So we'll continue to update all of you guys on all of these announcements. We hit offense here today. We'll do defense early next week once Dane jumps back onto the show as well. Uh, and then we'll keep rolling uh, with all of these announcements. Uh, as they come again for both the senior bowl and the shrine bowl. Uh, let's go real quick. The other big thing is the underclassmen news, and we'll start to get more of these announcements as well, especially uh, as teams are wrapping up their regular seasons, which means we're going to have senior days and we're going to get the news. Oh, oh the, this underclassman's going out with the seniors out for, for senior day. That's a, usually a sign mm-hmm. that he could be entering the draft. Well, Justin Ross from Clemson, uh, Dabo Swinney made the news of the official this week that uh, Justin Ross would be number one, getting surgery on his foot. It doesn't look like it's anything too, too serious, but getting a procedure done uh, on his foot that caused him to miss last week's game and also is entering the 2022 draft. And for me, Justin Ross, Look, the film that I studied of him was pre-back injury. So we're going back to the 2019 season. That player is a blue chip talent and a guy that was one of the best players in the country going into the 2020 season before he had that back surgery. So, uh, you know, I think when you look at what he brings to the table, certainly a very intriguing piece, but we know the medical is going to be a big, big deal for him and his draft stock going into next April. Yeah, absolutely. But he looks the part when he's healthy. 6'4", yeah. 205, can play above the rim. He's so bouncy. He's lean. He's long. He's athletic. I'm just having flashes of those uh, those uh, playoff games when he was, a, I think, a true freshman out yeah. there making a bunch of acrobatic catches against Ohio State defenders and, uh, you know, obviously made a bunch of really impressive grabs for Trevor Lawrence out there. Clemson just unfortunately had the spinal issue and the surgery that missed the 2020 season and now ending his 21 21- uh, 2021 campaign a little bit early as well. So just hope to see him healthy because he is an impressive player when he is. I wrote down AJ Green when I studied him back in, in 2019. Yeah, no no problem with that type of profile. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what you're looking at. Um, so we'll keep uh, keep updating on the, the underclassmen news as they roll out. Okay, deep breath. We got through a lot of all the big news. Let's now turn our attention to this week here in college football, Ben, and, and we'll start with our matchups to watch. I'm excited to hear from you because we haven't talked about this at all. Uh, what's one one-on-one matchup you're most excited to see here for this weekend in college football? All right, it's a little bit of an unconventional matchup here, but this one's going to tug at your heartstrings because our right. Temple transfers oh, are no. reuniting this weekend. Penn State Rutgers, that means Afani Maja, Arnold Ebicady are going to go one-on-one to see who can get – the highest sack total in the game among the ten, the Temple transfers out there. Thanks. Arnold Ebicady on his way to the Senior Bowl, really impressive player this year. Afani Maja, more of an inside player at Three Tech. They're both going to be looking to hunt quarterbacks this weekend. Really fun players on both sides of the ball. I love Julius Turner at nose tackle for Rutgers. Jesse Laquetta, 
Ooh, Fran, that outside oh, linebacker yeah, no. for Penn State. I am all about this kid. He's played off ball, outside linebacker, defensive end, plays with his hair on fire. Find Rutgers, Penn State, and just watch the guys in the trenches on both sides, mm. particularly the D-line on both sides. But Afani Maja, Arnold Ebicady, pour one out for Temple this weekend. Let's see who can uh, top the other with their sack total. Yeah, and of course, like I'm uh, getting ahead on the New York Giants for next week, and I'm watching the Giants, and Quincy Roche is starting for them this past two, uh, two weeks ago, and uh, he's getting an impact on the quarterback. So, uh, yeah. I'd say Temple, Grant Mobley is making tons yeah, of tackles for yeah, Boston great. College. There's yeah. Temple Owls all over the place excelling uh, in their new homes. That's yeah, great. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> let's go now to, uh, to Wake Forest going up against Clemson. And uh, look, the, the Wake Forest quarterback, Sam Hartman, continuing to build a lot of buzz. We don't know if he's going to enter uh, this class or not, but uh, just what he's continuing to put on his resume from a pure production standpoint is really impressive. And this will be a really fun one to go back and study later because we know Clemson, they're always going to have blue chip talent and they're going to always have blue chip talent at all three levels, right? So Andrew Booth at corner, potential top 10, top 15 type talent. Uh, Xavier Thomas was a number one recruit. Tyler Davis on the inside. Nolan Turner at safety. They've got linebackers again, right? So they've got blue chip talent everywhere, but then also for Sam Hartman going up against a, a really aggressive Brent Venables defense is a huge, huge test, right? So uh, to me, I'm very interested to see what Sam Hartman looks like. I know Clemson's down this year, but you can never count out that defense. It's always going to be a big test. So uh, Sam Hartman going up against Clemson, uh, that will be one I'm very interested to go back and watch later for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, you know, Wake Forest always plays Clemson a little tough. So I'm they hoping do. Sam Hartman can uh, kind of finally, uh, you know, kind of like, edge Brent Venables and get a W before he ends his career out there in Wake Forest. And by the way, that would be a guy that I could have very easily picked for our next category, which is our most to gain. Who's a player that could really benefit from a strong performance. I did not go with Sam Hartman for that one, but I did go with a player that we already talked about a little bit, Ben, and that's Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. They go up and play an SEC opponent this week in Tennessee and they've got the senior corner out there, Alante Taylor. So Jalen Tolbert, if he can go out, make some plays, not just against an SEC secondary, but against one of the top senior corners in the country. And Taylor, uh, that will do, will do a nice little uh, nice little boost there for his stock. It's actually a really weird slate of games in the SEC for him. Yeah. Six SEC teams are playing non-conference opponents. Yeah, and not just non-conference. I mean, off-the-beaten-path opponents. And I tried so hard to find somebody on the other side that could take advantage of an SEC opponent. You have Charleston Southern against Georgia, Prairie View A&M against A&M, Texas, uh, Tennessee State against Mississippi State. I was just goose egging on prospects yeah, on some of those teams. So unfortunately, I couldn't uh, find someone that could capitalize on an SEC opponent. But I'm going to go with an SEC versus SEC team this week, and that's Arkansas against Alabama. They're both ranked. Arkansas is 21, Alabama's two. John Ridgeway, nose tackle at Arkansas, heading to the Senior Bowl, transfer from Arkansas State, and edge rusher Trey Williams. Fran, I think this is a money game for those two guys. You get a couple sacks or a couple really flash plays against this Alabama offensive line, that's what improves your stock. Those little plays against elite competition that scouts are looking for. John Ridgeway heading to the Senior Bowl. He's excited. Go make a big splash play this weekend. Go tackle Bryce Young or get some TFLs in the backfield. Trey Williams is leading that team in quarterback pressures and sacks. Really impressive player. Go get a sack against Evan Neal. Go make a splash name or a splash play and uh, improve your stock this weekend against the best of the best. Yeah, Ridgeway, a spark plug, nose tackle inside. Trey Williams is a guy that, that Dane has brought up numerous times here on the pod this this fall. So uh, certainly a couple guys to keep an eye on in that game. Traylon Burks, big opportunity against that Alabama secondary uh, as well. Uh, let's go to our next one here comparison chat. So using an NFL comparison to profile a player that has taken the field this weekend, I'll let you uh, kick this one off. So, you know, we've been talking linebackers lately and, you know, I've been trying to find some comparisons for, for certain guys, whether it's Devin Lloyd or, you know, Christian Harris and all these Georgia guys. And one that really kind of set off the light bulb in my head is the undersized, but speedy and explosive linebacker at Georgia, Nicobe Dean reminds me a lot of Ernie Sims. And when he came out of Florida State, really I believe was a top 10, top 10 pick uh, in 2006, really he was short, one. under six foot, 230. So he had that thick, rocked up frame, but he ran four, five, six, jumped 41 inches, brought it 125 inches, which is insane 
uh, at that height and weight for a linebacker. So I see a similar type of player and a similar traits in Kobe Dean. And he's just a little short, doesn't have the length, but he's going to test off the charts. He's explosive. He is athletic. He is a fluid mover. Uh, and I think he could end up being a first round type of player, just like Ernie Sims was. It's a really, really good comparison. Was that the one that you, that you brought up that you I had said when we were watching and you're like, oh, it's, and that one really stands out. I don't know. I don't think I used that one. That's a really good. No, one. you you had mentioned just off the cuff. We were watching another short kind of rocked up blitzing uh, blitz heavy linebacker that I loved. And we both just couldn't think of who you had who mentioned, but yeah. I stumbled upon Ernie Sims on, on my own there. And uh, yeah, I kind of, I like that little comparison as far as a uh, skill set traits and body type. I like that. Uh, another player that we talked about earlier uh, in the show was Reggie Roberson from SMU. And this is a guy that whenever I've watched him, I re- first of all, his ball tracking is outstanding. He was a senior last year, and we were talking about, yeah, in that class, he was one of the best deep ball trackers uh, in that group. And so, obviously, coming back this year, that's still going to be the same with him. I don't see, them, see him as like a true like 4-3 burner, uh, but I think that he tracks the ball really well. He's a good vertical route runner. I just wish he was more of a true three-level threat. I don't know if I've always seen that from Reggie Roberson, but working in the deep part of the field, he's really effective. And I think that that's very similar to Deami Brown, who was a third-round pick this past spring uh, out of North Carolina by the Washington football team. Brown was very similar in that he worked really well down the field, was a really good vertical route runner, was a great finisher, tracked the ball well. Uh, I look at Roberson very similarly. The the big difference in their profiles, though, Roberson has been really banged up. He's had a couple season-ending injuries, and so uh, the durability will definitely be something that needs to be checked out with him. But I really like that as a a profile comp there, Reggie Roberson and Deami Brown, who ended up being a third-round pick. And if healthy, I think Roberson would be viewed the same way as an early day two type talent. Yeah, he's one of those guys that can win vertically, but doesn't have an angular frame. He's kind of built like a block. And that's kind of why I thought he reminded me of like Torrey Smith as well, where his yeah. hips and his shoulders are really the same width apart, but he's still fast. So he looks a little bit more like a running back with his pads on and the way he runs, but he's got a gear and he can win down the field. Uh, I really like that Deami Brown comp who got down the field quite a bit for Sam Howell in North Carolina. No doubt. Right, let's now wrap this up with our mock draft roundup. We've all, we're hitting a, lot, a ton in this segment uh, here this week. And this week, we're going to go over to Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports who put out a mock draft uh, earlier this week. And we'll start. Uh, look, I think we're starting to hit that point where it's a lot of the same players and the same slots, and the same teams in, the, in these mock drafts. So I want to ask you, looking at the top 15 of this mock draft, was there one pick in particular that stood out as the most surprising, uh, whether it was a player or a fit, a team connection uh, that stood out most to you as being most surprising in the top half of the first round? Well, I think the number 10 overall pick, the Miami Dolphins, going and getting a really interesting receiver and in Garrett Wilson from Ohio State just makes me and a lot of Dolphins you know, fans out there say, whoa, who did we get in free agency that we think it's okay to go get another receiver for this team? So that was a little bit eye-popping in my opinion because it's looking at the Miami Dolphins right now, their issue isn't receiver. They need some offensive line, offensive line, and more offensive line right now, and maybe even a quarterback of the future if it's not going to be Tua. So there's a lot going on right now uh, down there in Miami as far as stability at the quarterback spot and offensive line. But to go and get another skill player, which we all love Garrett Wilson, just don't think that's what the Dolphins really need right now for the number 10th overall pick. Yeah, it was a surprising one. I'll go even a little bit earlier in the same division, the New York Jets in the top seven or eight of this draft, taking N'Kobe Dean, the linebacker um, from Georgia. I think a lot of people really like N'Kobe Dean. I haven't seen anybody put him this high. Now, keep in mind, they don't, they also have C.J. Mosley uh, with the way that they play down there. And especially, look, when you look at the way that uh, Robert Sala wants to run that defense, I think, yeah, using a guy with Dean's skill set definitely uh, would be intriguing, uh, but surprising to see N'Kobe Dean that high. We haven't seen him too high in too many of these mock drafts. Now, uh, let's stick in the top five, the top 10 of this draft where the Eagles had the fifth overall pick. Uh, this is the pick that came over from the Miami Dolphins. And the pick here from Ryan Wilson is LSU corner Derek Stingley Jr. Uh, the Eagles have three, and here's the blurb here from Ryan. The Eagles have three first round picks and it sure seems that Jalen Hurts is making a case for why he deserves the job beyond 2021. If that's the case, it's reasonable to think that Philly will bolster its defense early and often. Stingley has not played since suffering an injury last month and that will have have zero impact on his draft stock. So, uh, Ben, Derek Stingley, we've talked about him. I mean, blue chip talent. It, you could argue maybe the one of the top two overall players in this draft, regardless of position. Obviously, the positional value comes into factor as well. Um, do you think that him only playing, what, 
four games uh, here this season is not going to have any kind of impact on his stock here moving forward. I wouldn't think so as long as the injuries and the medicals are all fine with him. He obviously flashed on the scene as a true freshman so prolifically. We kind of immediately put him on the mountain and just wondered why is he not still showing us plays like that? Uh, Obviously, that LSU team has taken on a little bit of a different narrative and personality since their national championship year in 2019. But he's been playing some high-level football. He's played it immediately for that LSU defense, some top-level football and high-level games. He's done enough, I think, in my opinion, to show us who he is as a player. I think he's scheme versatile. He's athletic. And I think any defensive back room would love to get their hands on a guy like this because he's just going to make their team better. Uh, so I hope all the medicals are fine, but I've seen enough from uh, Derek Singer. One question I've got, and it's interesting because uh, I get tagged in a lot of like Eagles fans, mock drafts, and people will send them in for the show. And uh, one of the arguments that you always see against mock drafts that have the Eagles taking a corner is like, oh, well, if you're going to play a ton of zone coverage, do you need to spend that high asset on the cornerback position. I, I think that is an interesting discussion, uh, especially when you look at the way that a lot of teams around the league are starting to play. Yeah, that's a very, um, very valid argument. It's kind of an an issue going on right now with our current personnel. And if we have the guys to play press man and to mix up Jonathan Gannon's scheme, which is very zone heavy. So, uh, yeah, you have to get the right players to play your right scheme. So it's going to be interesting to see how much they value if it's going to be zone-based corners. If you go out and get a prolific press man player in the top 10 of the draft, Hmm. whether that all makes sense. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion, no question. Uh, Let's get to the second pick here for the Eagles. That comes 11 overall. Uh, This is defensive lineman DeMarvin Leal. And here's the blurb here from Ryan Wilson. Leal has not been as dominant in 2021 as he was in 2020, but not only does he easily pass the eye test, he's proven that he can take over games against some of the best players in the country. Originally a defensive end, Leal at six foot four, 290 pounds, has the versatility and the athleticism to play up and down the line of scrimmage, and that versatility would be welcome in Philly, where the Eagles' defense has been a bottom third in the league unit, according to Football Outsiders. So, uh, Ben, thoughts on, on DeMarvin Leal? And I know in the past, you've compared him to a player the Eagles are going to see this weekend here in Cam Jordan down with the New Orleans Saints. Um, do you view him as more of an edge guy that can fly inside or do you think he's more of a pure interior guy I want to keep him on the interior as often as possible no I think if you find a team like whether it's you know Pittsburgh or New Orleans that plays a lot of multiple fronts and allows the guys to kind of play interchangeably up and down the line a lot like the way Cam Hayward plays or Cam Jordan like you had just mentioned we're going to see him this weekend with the Saints but I think he's a guy at 6'4 290 I'm okay with playing defensive end on early downs and some base downs and then sliding inside in sub-packages and, and sub-fronts. We see a lot of teams in the league do that, whether it's, you know, the Titans with Danico Autry, who's a heavy end that will slide inside in sub-packages. Yep. There's a lot of teams that are okay with a heavy run-stuffing defensive end on the outside. And I know it says originally a defensive end. He plays defensive end every week for Texas mm-hmm. A&M and slides inside every week. So it's all about where you project him and where you think you get the best – bang for your buck based on your scheme and what you do on a defense in the NFL. Yeah, I think there are, we, I know in the summer when we talked about him, we talked about him as potentially even like a Michael Brockers type. If you were to say, okay, we're just going to continue to put weight on him. He could be that kind of key cog inside. I don't know that he's quite as dynamic athletically that like Arik Armstead was when Armstead was coming out of, of uh, out of Oregon. He ended up being a first round pick, middle of the first round to the 49ers, but definitely has that positional versatility that a lot of teams will covet, especially in today's game with, uh, with all the multiple fronts all th- uh, strewn throughout. And there's the a lot of guys like that, whether it's, you know, Zachary Carter, um, whether it's Isaiah Thomas at Oklahoma or whether it's Logan, Josh Logan Hall, yep. Yeah, Logan Hall. There's a lot of guys that are in that 275, 290 range with good size that you just say, is he too big to play defensive end? Don't get so worried about where to play him just yet. Keep adding good players to your football yep. team. And DeMar- DeMarvin Leal is a good, strong football player. Well, another player that I think you and I both agree is a good, strong football player. The Eagles pick 15th overall. This is the pick from the Indianapolis Colts here in this mock draft. George Karlaftis from Purdue. We talk about him almost on a weekly basis here on the show. Here's the blurb from Ryan. Uh, Karlaftis adds another dimension to the defensive line. Injuries and the pandemic saw him play limited snaps in 2020, but Karlaftis was nearly impossible to stop in 2019 when he recorded 17 TFLs and seven and a half sacks. Ben, uh, George Karlaftis, 15. That's a uh, pretty good value, I think. Yeah, I'm just more stunned that he's 275. I see him listed at 6'4", 275. And that is how he's listed on his bio at 
produce. I guess that's appropriate, but he's a guy that wears that 275 very well. Yeah. Doesn't look like he has any bad weight or anything on him. He's got massive arms. He's really, really thick good. core, thick, thick lower half. Yeah, good run pass defender. He's a guy that's, I think, the easiest comparison of this draft class, uh, comparing him to Ryan Kerrigan, another former Purdue hmm. defensive end that was a power player. I think George Carl after. This is going to be a really good pro, and I would love to see him here uh, in in green and pair him with some guys like Fletcher Cox and maybe Brandon Graham and some of those guys on the front here and young guys like Milton Williams. Oof. Keep adding players to the trenches. Can rarely go wrong with that. I would love to see the Marvin Leal and Carl Aftis. Uh, I'd be a happy camper there for him. Yeah, it's pretty good up front. Uh, let's go now to our best team player fit. Outside the top 15, we've spent a lot of time talking about the top 15 in this mock draft. So let's dig uh, outside the top 15. Is there a player team fit that really stands out to you that you love most? Yeah, I love seeing Carson Strong going to the Saints at 21. Uh, Sean Payton finally getting his pocket passing quarterback for the future. And just before that, 17th overall, I love Kenyon Green going to the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that's a great pick out there. I think they're one or two pieces away from being a really elite football team in the Cincinnati Bengals. And one of those pieces is an interior offensive lineman. I think they're getting good play out of Jonah Williams out there. I think Jackson Carmen's going to be a nice piece from down the road. Quentin Spain at left guard. They need a center of the future. They probably need a more traditional right guard out there. I need to improve right tackle. Kenyon Green can play a lot of different spots. Would love to see him with the Bengals. I was going to say, where, where do you slide him in at, ideally, in that scenario? You think he goes right guard? You like they, him there? Right away, today, the Bengals need to upgrade their center. I would be okay with maybe putting him at center, and we'll see. Jackson Carmen's been okay. I know he got carted off against the Jets out there. Um, but if I had to put Kenyon Green in there today, he'd be center. If I had to look for tomorrow, I'd let him compete with uh, Quentin Spain at left guard. All right, so let's uh, get to mine here. And I, I, I'm going to go 24 overall. Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. I really love this. When you look at Gardner and his strengths, playing in man-to-man coverage, uh, great, great system fit there for Todd Bowles. He's got that uh, that aggressive attitude that I think would fit in that room and in the, on that unit. That's a, a, a fit that I just loved. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can definitely see uh, Todd Bowles, Ahmad Gardner, making a lot of sense. That meshes really well in my mind. Uh, let's go now with the la- our last one here. Most outside-the-box pick. In the entire draft, I'm going to open up to all one through 32. Was there one pick in particular that was like, oh, like uh, whether it's a, a player that goes high, a, a team fit that you're like, oh, that would be interesting. Uh, which which is your most outside the box pick? Well, there's two offensive linemen very close in the draft and going to very close teams in the AFC North that I just didn't feel like it's their style of player. And that's Charles Cross going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, kind of a thin undersized tackle from Mississippi State. And then Bernard Raymond going to the Ravens. I just don't feel like that's typically the profile of the tackles they like. I think these are two teams that actually prefer oversized tackles um, and that are okay with maybe lacking some athleticism in their offensive line. Charles Cross is a very light-footed, undersized guy. You're just trying to add more and more weight to him. Bernhard Raymond, obviously, the former tight end, is a little bit on the undersized side as well. I just didn't think the Ravens and the Steelers really like that style, but that's just the one that uh, kind of caught my eye. Interesting. I'm going to actually stay in that division. We're going to go AFC North, 16th overall, the Cleveland Browns going with Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett. And uh, look, obviously there's been a lot talked about with Baker Mayfield and his future in Cleveland, but uh, I don't know that we've seen too many mock drafts that have had them taking that quarterback and taking that swing uh, in this draft. I don't think that it's necessarily the wrong move for them in that scenario, but uh, I think that that is really interesting to see the the Browns go with Kenny Pickett there. Uh, Nice outside the pick there by Ryan, or outside the box pick there by uh, Ryan Mm -hmm. Wilson. Again, make sure you go check out this mock draft over on CBSSports.com. Ben, we covered a lot today, man. We covered Senior Bowl, underclassmen news, matchups for this week. We've got a lot covered, uh, and we're going to continue to hit on a lot moving forward right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We will talk to you next week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella Giovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
All right, time to wrap the show up as we do every single week here with Pick 6. It's my buddy Ross Tucker joins us once again. Uh, Ross, this past week, not super kind to you. I was able to pick up a game on you. Uh, we are all now tied up uh, at as we sit here going into Week 12 in college football. I picked San Diego State over Nevada. Uh, you went with the Wolfpacks. That was a loss for you. Uh, I picked the under for 70, 70 and a half rushing yards for Georgia running back Samir White. You took the over, so there was one. You did get me on the Matt Corral touchdowns. You correctly predicted a win there for Mississippi State or for Ole Miss, rather. So uh, you did get a game back, but all tied up, man. This is a tight one. I can't believe I can't believe Nevada lost that game. I mean, (laughs) Carson Strong threw like three fifty yards, seventy percent completion. And they score 21 points? Crazy. It's uh, you, you never pick against the Aztecs, man. Come on. You, you should know this by now. You never go up against SDSU. Uh, speaking of which, let's get to our pick-ems here. We're going to start this week here in the Big 12, where we've got a couple of teams coming off losses now, Ross, and two of the favorites in this conference entering the 2021 season, Iowa State and Oklahoma. Who do you like here between Matt Campbell's squad and the Cyclones or Lincoln Riley and the Sooners? I'm not really sure what happened to Iowa State this year. I I thought they had a chance to win the conference, a chance to go to the college football playoff. I thought they were going to have a great year. They've been one of my most disappointing teams in college football this year. I'm going to go Oklahoma. I thought they'd lose last week. That's just the type of game Oklahoma loses. I don't envision them losing back-to-back games. I don't either. Uh, I look. Iowa State has had their struggles this year. Uh, they've lost two of the last four. Um, you know, as you have said, I mean, underachieved. They came in with a senior quarterback and uh, the, one of the best running backs in the country, a senior-laden defense, uh, and they just have not been able to string multiple wins together for a bit. So um, I, I will also go Oklahoma here. Obviously, they've had their struggles as well. It has not been a pretty season for Oklahoma. They went to Spencer Rattler late in that game last week, um, you know, benching the freshman Caleb Williams. But uh, we'll see what the Sooners look like here this week. I, I do predict a win there for OU. Let's go uh, out west. Big one here in the Pac-12, Ross. Oregon, Utah. Who do you like here in this one? I like Utah. Oh, yeah, nice. The game is at Utah. It is Saturday night. This is the type of game that Oregon loses. Like, late in the season, on the road against a tough Utah team. I just – I think Utah is going to win this game because that's college football. I don't think Oregon's really that great of a team. And I think that they're going to lose this game. I think think Utah, this gets them their big win this year. See, I think Oregon, with that loss they had to Stanford a couple weeks ago, I feel like that was the game. It's like, all right, like – you get past that one, now they run the table the rest of the way. I, I think that Oregon, uh, the way that they play on both sides of the line of scrimmage, uh, I, I like the Ducks here in this one. Utah's always going to fight everybody tough, um, but I, I like Oregon here. So we'll go separate there uh, on our Pac-12 pick. Let's now go to our over-under, and we're going to go back to the running back position, back to another over-under on rushing yards. This number is going to be 79.5, looking at UCLA, UCLA running back, Zach Charbonnet going up against the Trojans. This is a tough number, Ross. I went back and forth here on this one. Uh, who do you like here? What do you like here on the over-under for Zach Charbonnet? Yeah, I like the over. I think UCLA wins the game. I think yep. they're the better team. I think USC is not very good. And I think UCLA is churning clock late in the game with Charbonnet. So I'll go over. Yeah, I took the over here as well. I was interested to see if you would go the other way. We went separate uh, on this Georgia one last week, but for the same reason, I think UCLA wins this game. Uh, and Charbonnet, when UCLA has been humming this year, when they've had so much success, it's been on his back and his ability to run the football. So I like him to go triple digits here uh, in this game. Let's now look at a couple of group of five wide receivers, a couple of guys from the AAC uh, in our either or. Who in this uh, game has more receiving yards? A couple seniors here. For Cincinnati, you've got Alec Pierce, who I don't know if, you're, if, you're, if you're aware so much of Alec Pierce here, Ross, but really interesting athletic profile. He's a big kid. He can get vertical, uh, can make plays down the field, has not been a lifetime wide receiver, has moved around to a couple different positions, but you've got him on one side catching passes from Desmond Ritter. Then you go down to SMU, and Reggie Roberson is a player that I've been high on for a couple of seasons now. He's been banged up over the course of his career this year, healthy, uh, but has that ability to be that deep threat, um, kind of similar to Diami Brown, I think, in last year's draft in a lot of different ways when you look at his skill set as a vertical route runner, as a ball tracker down the field. So both guys have that vertical element to their passing game. Who do you like here to have more receiving yards, Alec Pierce or Reggie Roberson? Roberson. Um, I like Roberson because 
I just think Cincinnati is going to have the lead. I think Cincinnati is going to win the game. SMU has struggled as of late. I think SMU is going to have to be chucking all over the place mm. to come from behind. So I think game script is better for Roberson and SMU. It's a nice bet. That's a nice bet to make. Uh, I think when you're betting on that, I will go with Alec Pierce. I'm going to go with a better quarterback at the end of the day. I'm going to say, uh, let's go uh, Desmond Ritter. Who am I going to place my most confidence in? Uh, I'll go with that passing game with the Bearcats. Let's go now to our high-low here. And we're going to go uh, to a couple of matchups, um, one in the ACC, one in the Big Ten. We're going to say, which which team do you like more here? Do you like Minnesota's margin of victory over Indiana? Or do you like the University of Miami's margin of victory over Virginia Tech and why? Which number? Which team has the greater margin of victory in this game, Ross? So I like Miami's margin of victory over Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech kind of in shambles now after yeah. firing their head coach, sure. Justin Fuente. You know, the kids on the team are wondering, what does that mean for me? What, do I need to go somewhere else? Who's the new coach going to be? Plus, Manny Diaz needs impressive wins. He needs to try to – the score matters to Manny Diaz. He doesn't just want to win the game. He wants to win impressively. Whereas that's not really the case for Minnesota against Indiana. So I like Miami uh, to have a bigger margin of victory. New athletic director uh, down at, down in Miami, uh, or at least they're making a change to the athletic director. Um, so that that's certainly, there's a little bit of turmoil down there as well. Uh, I do like the Hurricanes though. I, I just think if who's more likely to have the bigger win, uh, my guess would be Miami. Indiana, uh, obviously a plucky team. We talked about how they have talent on both sides of the football. So, uh, and Minnesota, I don't know if I've got a ton of faith uh, that they're going to, you know, go in a boat race. Uh, the Hoosiers, I actually did not mean that to be a pun, but I, I did uh, sneak that in there. Uh, let's go now to our upset specials here. Uh, one big upset to win here, Ross. What do you like this weekend? Yeah, I didn't have any that I really loved. Um, I, I thought about Texas Tech and Northwestern. I'm going to go with Syracuse. Uh, oh, I think nice. Syracuse, they got thrashed by Louisville. Yep. Uh, that was really bad. I think they have a bounce back game. And I think NC State is sort of uh, crushed by the fact they lost that Wake Forest game that they easily could have won and what mm. that means for their ACC hopes. I think it's a letdown game for NC State. Bounce back for Syracuse. That's the one I'm going to go with. I like it. Uh, I am going to go to the Big Ten. Dude, I'm going Michigan State over Ohio State. I just there's something in the air that makes me think like Ohio State prime for the upset here. We know how Michigan State has played, uh, and Ohio State does. Yes, they're putting up a lot of points. Um, they're moving the ball, but this is still a very young team, uh, especially when you, you look on both sides of the football. There are a lot of young players there. Certainly, CJ Stroud, a quarterback, but uh, I am going to go with these Spartans here. Give me Sparty uh, here over Ohio State. Uh, Ross, we'll see. We'll see how we do here this week. It's a, it's a tight one, though, for us right now. Yeah, you know, I actually thought about Michigan State as well. I couldn't ultimately pull the trigger. I don't envision them beating Michigan and Ohio State in the same year, but I right. thought about it for sure. <laughs> Give me a little bit of pause, but we'll see. I'll put my faith here in Mel Tucker uh, and Kenneth Walker. Uh, Ross, we will talk to you next week. We'll see how we did. Sounds great. Awesome stuff this week from Ross Tucker, from Eric Galco, and of course, from Ben Fennell, who will be back early next week. Myself, Ben, Dane, will be back breaking down everything we see this weekend in college football. We've got more Senior Bowl acceptances, hopefully some Shrine Bowl acceptances for us to comb through. We've already talked through a bunch of those as well here on the show. We're going to keep that rolling every single episode from now up until the All-Star Game process starts there in late January, early February this year, a little bit later than we normally have seen. That said, we will talk to you next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week when you join myself. Amy Campbell and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta. We provide Eagles focused analysis, late breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.